here we are once again. Uh, this is our show called Around the Campfire, where we talk to artists and tell stories about living a creative life. Um, today on the show, we have Michelle Atkinson, and uh, we're going to talk to her a little bit about her, and then we're going to get into the weeds about uh, something that I think we can all relate to as artists and creatives. But how are you, Michelle? I'm great, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Wicked. Even though here is like, uh, you're, just a, <laughs> you're just a disembodied voice over the internet, but... That's right, that's it's, right. I'm sitting in my, it's in my own home office speaking to you guys through a phone, but that's it, cool. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. nice because we can all do this like in our underwear and, <laughs> you know, not not anything formal, just sip coffee or, or other things in the coffee at the same time. I mean, I know it's True. only it's only noon, but... I mean, I might add a little something to my coffee. <laughs> it's Sunday, so everybody's a little groggy, right? So, so how are you? And uh, and and how how have you been in the whole COVID life? Uh, I'm good, actually. It's um, I don't want to say it's not been tough. It's I think everyone's had their own struggles, but. Um, Working from home is not um, difficult for me. I think a lot of artists would probably agree that we're all introverts. And so hiding in my own house in my studio is actually quite a nice a nice thing to have. So if you want to find a positive in the whole COVID world, it's having the excuse to not have to talk to people <laughs> and focus <laughs> on your art, right? So it's, um, it's allowed me to, to really... Um, take a step back, have a look at what I'm doing, figure out if it's right and kind of readjust. So um, I'm trying to see just the positive aspect of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, it's trying to find the positives is sometimes tough, but yeah, mm -hmm. I, and I wonder too, specifically just so, I mean, obviously tell us a bit about yourself, but you're a glass artist and I feel like glass artists in particular have had like a bit of a rougher go than maybe other artists have. Um, but yeah, tell us about uh, yeah. tell us about you and yourself and and kind of what you do and give us give us sure, your story. Yeah. I will give you my story. So uh, Alberta born and raised, uh, which you don't hear a lot, but I stayed here after I grew up here. Uh, love Calgary, and um, I actually went into a professional career of graphic design. So I've been doing graphic design and visual communications for fifteen plus years. Um, and then I found out pretty quickly within that realm that um, I like solving problems, but I was always solving someone else's problem, right? That's the whole point of working for someone. Um, you are um, tied to the creative brief to solve their problem and make their thing come to light. And what I was missing was my own creative expression in that. Well, you get to put a little bit of yourself into everything you create. It's not just yours. Um, and so I developed a parallel glass practice to enable me to let out the stuff I couldn't let out in the day job. Um, and it actually allowed me to be more creative in the day job because I could get out that other stuff without having to try to like shoestring it in or um, shoehorn it into something, another creative brief. Um, so it's, it's I'd like to think has, has made me more rounded as an individual, um, but also it has pointed out that I have a real problem with um, an inability to relax. Um, I'm always going or always doing something. So it's, uh, it's pointed out some of those sort of things. But yeah, um, as far as COVID and glass, I'd say if I was in the hot shop, I would totally agree that it's a harder go because you need a team of people to create those sort of things. My glass is um, kiln form glass. So it's a very solo practice. So I was lucky, lucky enough that um, I have a studio that I do share with another artist, but I'm in there by myself primarily. So um, when lockdown happened, I just kind of retreated to the studio and started making. So I actually kind of had a bit of a gift in that, that um, I could continue to create, um, you know, shows and all that kind of stuff. But I think everybody uh, kind of suffered from that, right? So all the sales stopped, but at least my production increased in that realm. Yeah, you'll end up with a big kind of body of saleable work, I'm sure, once we all, once we yeah, all get our well, vaccines and can, can get back to normal, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, your story speaks to me because I, I mean, I pretty, I have a quite a similar story. So, you know, went to film school, kind of have focused on the client side of, of animation, design, illustration for about the same amount of time. Um, and then have also kind of been trying to focus more and more on personal projects and stuff like that. But, yeah, you know, it's, uh, 
it's it's an interesting battle um, working in the client realm I find sometimes especially when it comes to what we want to talk about today which is perfectionism and like the good enoughest approach that mm -hmm. and and trying to find the healthy balance of both of those worlds for sure yeah um, yeah when you um, so you you did you go to school for glass at all or, or was it mostly just uh, kind of outside of school um, workshops and and kind of just yeah yeah it's it's mostly self-directed so my, my education is um, I'm a big uh, believer in education but I've done it in kind of a abstract way so I, I went to state for new media production and design so and that led me into graphic design I've also been to Nate I have a certified personal trainer diploma that I pretty much have never done anything with um, uh, I've taken a lot of online courses uh, I've taken con ed classes at Mount Royal and UFC. I've been down to the States to learn with um, some, they call master classes with other glass artists. Um, you know, the internet is a fabulous place to learn all sorts of things. Um, I read books like they're candy. So yeah, it, it's a lot of stuff, but it's, it's not the typical uh, road that most artists would take. So I don't have a BFA or any of that kind of stuff. But you studied uh, you studied graphic design more formally, or did you yeah. just uh, go pursue well, that as well? As as formally as uh, Sate can claim to do it. So again, not not an art school. The new media production design. I took that mainly because at the time ACAD didn't have their visual comms um, program had no computers. <laughs> that tells you my age. So let's just not talk about that. But. Um, and so I believe I was, it was really in that time where the internet was starting to be a thing. And I'm like, you know what, I need to get on the tech side of this. And so I chose SATE over ACAD um, because of that. And because my parents are very much into, you need a job that's stable and whatever. And so an art degree was just a big no-go. So um, <laughs> yeah, so I went to SATE to get the more technical aspect. So I started, when I started in graphic design and I'm using air quotes as I say that, it was production, right? So I was creating ads for, I think I did ad production for over a year where all I did was recreate ads in 50 different sizes and blah, blah, blah. And then, then I'd take any reports. So a designer would actually create the concept and then I would actually finish the book, right? So full page layout design, that sort of things. So, and then I grew, you know, dipping my toe in saying, yes, I can design, really I can. And so eventually it, it kind of just progressed. And then, um, I was able to finally call myself a graphic designer in that realm, right? Those have got to be pretty useful skills to really translate into the sort of the more fine art making process or the glass, like the glass work that you're doing. Because um, I feel like, I mean, this is a discussion we've had a few times on here, but um, the sort of academic route for art making has been problematic for I think most artists in the last yeah. 10 years just or or 20 years even just um, with sort of a real emphasis on on uh, um, sort of concept making and not a lot of practical applications mm -hmm. for, for things I feel like a sort of really technical uh, approach and client base like how how do you just do the, the slave work kind of like do the the layout stuff the really easy things then kind of drudgery and then get out to uh sort of work your way up to um to the more skill-based stuff i think is a great way for artists to develop those skills did you find that mm -hmm. that translates into your glass glass making oh, for sure for sure i mean and to your point i think um i think we're going to get into this when talking about perfectionism you don't just get to be the top of anything right like i think a lot of people they go to the school and they spend years in school and they study the theory and all that kind of stuff and then they get out of school and think they should be the CEO of the company, right? And, and unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You have to work your way up. And I actually think that's a great way to learn. And that keeps you grounded. You actually treat other humans like humans and um, you get a better rounded skill set so you can adapt when things change. And I mean, if this year has taught us nothing, is that you have to be able to adapt and grow. So if you've got other skills because you started at the bottom and learned those other skills and you were humble enough to take that, then you can go anywhere you want, right? So, um, I mean, the graphic design, an easy translation, of course, would be to, it's easier for me to do my marketing than most artists, right? I have those skill sets already. But as far as like um, conceptual, that sort of thing, that also translates. 
I'm a big lover in um, the process. I actually prefer the process probably more than the final piece that I create. I love learning new stuff. And so that probably served me well over my career as well, because like, yeah, it may not have been the most sexy job, but it was a new skill I could acquire. And I liked having those notches on my belt, so to speak, right? Like it's, um, if I'm not learning, you're not growing. So I think that you have to continually learn. Yeah, for me, I think that is actually like the continually learning aspect of it is actually one of the biggest ways to combat perfectionism. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I mean, I think maybe at the end of what we're talking about, we can kind of talk about maybe some things that like how we can combat perfectionism or like at least bring it into like a bit of a healthier zone. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I, I had a similar route where, you know, I didn't actually go to school for what I primarily do for work now. Um, but I think I'm able to do what I do for work now because I, I started just learning just the most baseline stuff and and working my way up to getting bigger projects you know more important clients uh uh, being able to tackle more things on my own like i think about too you know even when i was back in the film industry more uh, front and center as like an editor and an assistant editor like if i were to have exited school and just immediately gone into editing tv shows like i would have lost i would have died it would have killed me and it's Mm -hmm. almost like you build up your endurance level by starting low and and moving up towards like the bigger more important jobs as well um with the repetition of things and and tackling smaller tasks and 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 until you can kind of take on the bigger projects to that are more impressive um it's it's pretty important to start low i think with a with a low bar if you will um and i'm kind of reminded of this story from Again, we, we reference this book all the time, but uh, the story from Art and Fear about a ceramics teacher. I'll just read it really quick here. Um, the ceramics teacher announced on opening day that he was dividing the class into two groups. All those on the left side of the studio, he said, would be graded solely on the quantity of their work that they produced. All those on the right solely on its quality. His procedure was simple. On the final day of class, he would bring into his bathroom scales and weigh the work of the quantity group. 50 pounds of pots rated an A, 40 pounds of B, and so on. Those being graded on quality, however, needed to produce only one pot, albeit a perfect one, to get an A. Well, well, came grading time and a curious fact emerged. The works of highest quality were all produced by the group being graded for quantity. It seems that while the quantity group was busy, busily churning out piles of work and learning from their mistakes, the quality group had sat theorizing about perfection and in the end had little more to show for their efforts than grandiose theories and a pile of dead clay. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because John, I mean, just talking about theorizing and conceptualizing and stuff like that, but not actually getting your hands dirty and like producing tons of work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been the, that's been the the biggest struggle of my career is is exactly that. It's been that story. Um, yeah, exactly that thing is just uh, trying to produce the best work every time instead of just producing work mm-hmm. and uh, and ending up at the best work because that's where you will eventually go. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle, do you find with um, just with production glass that you've seen like that kind of curve upwards where, I mean, producing, I guess I'm assuming also because of like kiln, um, uh, uh, kiln mold work. Am I getting that term right? I might be (laughs) kiln forming. Yeah. (laughs) Kiln forming. Um, that you find that like you're able to learn a lot more because you're producing a lot more work. Oh yeah, no, yeah. for sure. I, and I, I actually have a saying, and I love that story, but I also say, um, if you're not failing, you're not learning, right? So I actually see failure as a positive. Like, obviously you don't want to fail like 10 times with the same mistake over and over and over again. But really, if you fail and learn from it, the next time you do it, it'll be better, right? So failure is learning. 
constantly. And, and I do that all the time. I'm, I'm always making something. I'm always failing it. I document it and everyone gets to see it. I'm huge on Instagram and they see all my failures and then I have some fun with it and I smash stuff. But, um, but that's how you grow, right? Like I, I used to years and years ago, I made these little bowls look like coral, right? And the first ones I made, everyone tries it. It's a technique in, in kiln glass. So everyone tries to make these and your first ones look awful. Uh, and everyone starts there. But I made like hundreds of these silly things. And then eventually they started to look really nice. And now I can do that without thinking about it. I don't offer it, but someone asks, yeah, sure, I'll make you that. And I can charge a lot more for it. And it takes me a lot less time. So now I'm actually making money at it. Whereas before, no, but it got me to this place, right? And I think there's another um, like saying or meme out there where it's like, you're not just paying for the object with art. You're paying for the years of hours of trial and tribulation of trying to figure out the process to get that thing right that's what you're actually paying for you're not paying for the actual thing at the end you're paying for the time it took to get there right exactly and my favorite answer to the question that we all always get how long did it take you to make that yeah you know it's uh 25 years and 12 hours you know yeah <laughs> totally yeah yeah i mean with with my work, I always say, you know, all I really do is move stuff around on screen until it doesn't look like shit anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just that having done it for so long, I can just move it around faster and make decisions a lot faster about what will work and what won't work. Yeah. And it's just like my, my process. And I think all of our processes of trial and error and processes of elimination and, and knowledge is like, it just, it elevates as you go. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I wonder how, I mean, everybody's always striving for doing better work. Um, but when do you, when do we all hit that mode where we're like maybe spinning tires on working too long on something that we know we just need to finish it and get it out the door and start working on the next one and solve those, all those problems again, but do them better. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's so easy, I think, sometimes for everyone, not just creatives, to like get bogged down in that unattainable uh, goal at the top of a mountain of having like the perfect piece. And we, we, we've touched on it as well, just um, in previous shows about like the influence of social media on that. And I love that you post all your failures to social media which I think, I don't know if that's becoming more of a trend. Like we've, we've heard a few of people that have been on the show that have been posting more failures, but I feel like it needs to become more of a trend. Um, mm -hmm. cause I think social media has become a pretty deadly force in nurturing perfectionism. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, everybody should be, it's hard and I, everybody should be posting failed attempts or process stuff. And it's, is so rewarding to see the process of artists that you think are some, like even as an artist myself, I look at artists on social media and think, oh my God, they're just absolutely perfect. How do they pull this off every single time? And then you see, and if they ever rarely do post process things, you're like, oh, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. That's, that's just the same process as everybody's. It's sort of trial and error and they don't get to it right away and they, struggle with certain things so i think it's yeah i think it's really valuable for for the mental health of everybody on social media that people post more more um process or failures but it's also hard it's hard to it's it's counterintuitive to sort of the kind of branding that people i think are trying to achieve on social media mm -hmm. does that bother you michelle to, to do it do you do it like begrudgingly or is it rewarding as a part of your process to, to post your process on online? I wouldn't even say it was a conscious thought. It's just, it seemed obvious to me. It, it, um, so like, say I'm at a show and I'm showing off my work. I think be, again, because I'm a, a large um, believer in the process of the piece and I need to explain my piece in order for it to sell, the person has to understand the process behind it to see the value and then also to connect with it. Right. So if I'm sharing how it's made, um, they can make that connection to their own experience and then it's easier to sell. 
So then translating that to social media was just kind of a natural thing, right? I just wasn't doing shows. And so, okay, and my, people who buy my stuff are following me and they like that stuff. So let's just continue posting that, right? So it's, and again, I don't see, maybe I'm a different breed, but I don't, again, I don't see failure as a bad thing because I'm learning from it, right? So, and I've, I've, I've kind of come across that many times in, in the day job and stuff where people, oh, I can't do that because I might fail. And I'm kind of like, let's do that and see what happens, right? Because it doesn't matter because if it doesn't fail, then we fix it or we find another way to do it or right, that's exciting to me. So putting it on social was never a question of should I or shouldn't I? It's just, let's go. Well, what can I put up here? Let's, let's, let's do some, let's smash some stuff. Let's melt some stuff. And, you know, the only thing I, I think that I've struggled with is a large part of my following, and I'm sure a lot of artists too, are other artists. So then that, that begs the question, if I'm showing my entire process and people start copying it, then what? Right? So then there's that whole, whole realm there. So it, so it stopped me a little bit because I was posting stuff and noticing people doing what I was doing. And they're like, well, you should be, you know, it's flattery. I'm like, well, no, that's stealing. So now I post stuff that I don't know how it's going to turn out or I do, and it's already on the internet somewhere. So it's not, and I just keep those few little secret things get uniquely mine secret. And then I will talk about those with a collector, but I don't necessarily show them off on social media. Um, and that's just the balance that I found there. That sounds perfect. That's um, that's really refreshing to hear you say that you just kind of, it came naturally to you, that it was just, this is the process and this is, I'm not trying to be tight with my brand or be, you know, be careful with all this. You just go for it and, and fail publicly. That's, that's fantastic. It's uh, pretty rare, I think. Yeah, failing forward, right? Every yeah. every Every time you'd fail. It, I, I, there's that image of uh, the guy that's like juggling plates um and behind uh, in front of a huge audience and it's but then behind him you see like hundreds and hundreds of broken plates kind of <laughs> extending down this this like walkway um and it's it, i mean even that image though is is interesting just because it's like all of that is kind of hidden and swept under the rug a lot of the time um mm -hmm. but it's uh yeah and it, it I mean, I think like working in the graphic design realm and, and the client side of things, like, um, it, I always, I always find it interesting because how, because of how many times I'll work with a client and they'll want to reiterate and try and make something super perfect and beautiful. But then it always just ends up back at like a very early iteration of something that was more natural and flowy. Yep. Um, and it's like, when do you? When do you start to tell the client, you know, I think we're spinning our tires here and really not moving forward. We're 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 just burning rubber. Do you find um how, like do you find that ever happening with your own work where you just you have to catch yourself and be like, okay, it's time to move on. It's like this isn't gonna we're not gonna be making this perfect. I need to just get this out the door and always always like it. it. And I think there's there's certain factors that maybe push artists eventually to get there. We can spin forever. Um, and again, because I'm process driven, I'm constantly changing the process. So I don't know if I ever really reach a final goal or if it's ever perfect. And I hope I never do because I just think that's the end. Right. But as far as like, um, say, I need to get something done or I'm working on a specific project and I'm spinning and whatever, usually time becomes the thing that stops you. Right. Like you've got a show coming up or it's for a client and they want it by a certain date. So you have to wrap it up based on time. So you can let those kind of pieces stop you. Um, and then as far as like graphic design, you've always got the creative brief, right? So if you find a client spinning or you're spinning with the client, you go back to the goals in the brief and be like, okay, have we hit our goals? Yeah. Uh, so let's go. Let, mm -hmm. It's time to stop. We can, we can always reevaluate after it's been out in the market for a while or whatever that is. Right. Um, artists, we, we, you know, we have an artist statement, which is kind of like our brief, but usually we leave that somewhat open-ended so that we can grow and evolve. Right. So I think we really have to look at our own goals and what are we trying to get out of that? Right. Besides maybe just that show that's coming up in two months or whatever. Right. Yeah. John, do you, do you set goals with your painting ever? Or is it like, I, I'm, I'm just 
thinking kind of like, do you sit down and do your initial sketches and then be like, okay, with this painting, I want to achieve A, B, and C. Um, do you ever do that? No, I have no goals, man. You know this. <laughs> no. No, I have to I, ask uh... the question, man. <laughs> um, yes and no. I, I, um, I have goals. Uh, I have sort of narrative goals that I want to achieve with, with a body of work. Um, to tell a certain story and to convey a certain message. Um, but with each, each individual painting, it's more to, uh, my, the goal is to accomplish, to accomplish the image that's in my head um, with, with now more than ever a, a good enough success rate, you know, not a, not a hundred percent this mm -hmm. is exactly what it should have been in my head. This is what it was in my head. This is what it needs to be on canvas. Um, there was certainly a long time where that was the case. And that was just very pain. It's a painful process to, to go through every time when you, every piece sort of becomes a failure because it's never going to be exactly what it was in your head. Um, I mean, unless you'd really n nail out a whole ton of color studies and do it exactly right and it's just going to be that way but that's but that's also not the most rewarding part of art making i think like you said michelle the process is is king and and it's so rewarding to to feel that process be kind of organic and when you're in it and you're you're sort of flowing through it that's that the piece will change and it never ends up being exactly what it was in your head and that has to be good enough at some point, right? Because you can sort of, the, the vision is over here and then the final product starts to divert over to, to here and, and it, uh, it's never going to line up completely. So, yeah, I mean, I set goals for, um, for, for messaging and for storytelling. Um, but also some technical stuff sometimes, you know, like it's, it's nice to set some technical goals. And some of those are driven by like um, lim lim certain limitations. Right now, I'm working on a bunch of paintings that are uh, that have a limited color palette. So it's nice to sort of set the limitation and then work within that. And it's a, it's it becomes a sort of technical challenge as well uh, within the the story challenge. So yeah. Um, so yes and no, sometimes, sometimes not. There was something you said there that I really liked. You, you like the limiting factor, right? So you limited your color palette in order to achieve something. I actually really like that. I haven't, I don't know if I've ever tried that in my art practice, but I definitely do that in the creative or the, like the day job, if you will, right? You have a box that you're supposed to sit in. And I, I like, well, I like breaking the rules. So how can I, so the challenge is actually to break out of the box but keep those still check those boxes if you I don't know if that makes sense but if if I'm doing like so for the last five years I've worked for one company I used to work agency work so you got lots of variety whereas now it's it's the same brand every day so I get my brief and I'm like okay I need to achieve x y and z but how can we bend or break those rules a little bit so that I can have more freedom or more creativity in this and that becomes the problem I don't know if that speak it doesn't speak to me you know um, perfection or whatever, but it gets me an extra creative boost in whatever I'm doing. Sorry, just an aside, perhaps. But I, I like. I think that I think that lends itself to an idea of perfectionism for sure, um, because I think that's like the pressure to be perfect for this specific brief or this specific project, but you're trying to push boundaries and see. Okay, this might not be perfect we can we can scale it back and do other things or try different processes and um uh it's uh it's easy to get wrapped up without the goals and without the boxes into getting into like a perfectionist sort of feedback loop i guess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and it's hard to it's possibly maybe impossible to achieve any kind of bar when 
when the the possibilities are absolutely limitless right and that's mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. for me the benefit of setting limitations is it provides you with an opportunity to to make a box and then work within it and then uh is if you do take one one step outside the box it becomes this Ooh, like I used this color and it was not in my color, like it wasn't outside <laughs> of my limited color palette, but it kind of, it pops out like this amazing moment in the painting, uh, providing it, you know, is the right color and works right. But it's, it's a dangerous little color to add based on the box that I've made for myself. And that, mm -hmm. and that sort of allows this this sort of ceiling to be there on the process that, that you can kind of chip away at. And, but if, if you don't set anything, then the limit is make the best painting that's ever been made in the universe. Okay. Like what, <laughs> you know, yeah. what is, what's the, what's the box to do that in? It's, that it doesn't exist. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's a strong, strong play to, uh, to set some limitations. Well, and I like the, there's that analogy of the, or like a metaphor for, you know, the perfect pieces at the top of this mountain. And if I just get to the top of this mountain by checking off all these tick boxes, I'll have the perfect piece. But as once you get there, you look over the mountain and there's just a bigger mountain after it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like having the goals to work within or the limitations to work within, um, it makes it so that like almost that there almost is no mountain or you, you, you do get to attain that mountain. But then once you figure something else out outside of that box or outside of those goals, uh, you're like, Oh, that's a cool, that's another cool mountain to climb. Instead of it just being the same mountain that you kind of tumble down after reaching the top every single time. Mm -hmm. So we've solved perfectionism is what we're saying. <laughs> cool. You killed it. <laughs> we've got it. Have you ever been, um, either of you have either of you like give me give me a story where you know you've you've been debilitated by it almost um i mean i think everybody kind of has those things and and where you you know you know you need to move on from this but you it's it, or you know you need to move forward with it or just put it out there um but it's it's just it's a struggle i think well, and see, now it's going to go the other way. I, I think I'm too stubborn to, um, to, to fail, to, or I should say, I love failing, but I'm too stubborn to fail. No, it, uh, has anything stopped me? No, because I, I won't let it. There's got to be an example. Give me a second. Maybe yeah. John, you, <laughs> you yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of an example <laughs> specifically and I don't, um, there's a lot of instances where, where I've been hung up and, there's like a month into a painting and you're thinking, what, what am I still doing painting this stupid thing? It needs to be done. Um, and so that, that happens a lot to me. Um, but interestingly on the flip side of the coin, again, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore your question and answer the other one. Matt, <laughs> but, um, doing this mural last weekend, I, uh, it was like the most, rewarding good enoughest moment of my life i just because the time was limited and my resources were fairly limited and i just was like well this is what i can pull off and it was mildly ambitious but not crazy and so i sort of did it and then there was one extra element to add and i was like i really want to get that in and we'll see but then i had the opportunity, you know, had it ended up with the time, sort of made the time and stuffed it in at the end and then, and uh, just walked away. I was like, well, that's <laughs> good enough. And just it hands was, off and get it was out awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. <laughs> uh, because there was kind of this, this pressure of time and expectation and mm -hmm. people were sort of watching you do it and when it's public like that. And so in the studio, I can noodle away on a painting until I kill it, but there it didn't really offer the same opportunity so no it was not it was nice to to be forced that hand be forced on me yeah the the rules of the box can help you s finish your your thing but also i think you have to keep in mind not everyone views perception or the perception of perfection is not the same for everyone right mm -hmm. so what you think is perfect is not what your um collectors think is perfect 
right? You could, that painting that you're, 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 you're not sure it's ready or whatever. And it sits in your studio for months. If you, if you just left it there and someone walked into your studio, they might be like, Oh my God, that's perfect. And they, and they'd want it. Right. So we stop ourselves just because of how we see our own art. Right. So, so back to your question, Matt, I think, you know, yeah, I have lots of projects that don't go the way I want them to. Uh, some just get smashed and remelted and we start over and some just sit on a shelf for months. Mm -hmm. And I just, you just subconsciously think about how you can move that forward. And eventually the answer comes, but you can't force it. I think it's the forcing aspect that stops us. Right. So if, if you're not getting, it, it's not what you want, put it away for a while and move on to something else, get your head out of that space and try a different thing. And then eventually the answer will surface. At least that's how I feel about it anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, like the one of the big things about perfectionism that you touched on there is that it is quite internal and it's quite mm -hmm. one sided. Right. It's always um, it's always the feeling that like m my work currently is not good enough um, or not perfect enough. It's like an amplification of your own your own self, not how other people are necessarily viewing it. Um, it's about like striving for your the excellence of your, like your own work and your own self. Um, and that is that like other people's perfect uh, perception of perfection is like, you cannot control that at all. So it's, that's why I think per perfectionism when it overtakes you is like so dangerous because you cannot control how other people will view it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's true like it said, doesn't right? matter in the yeah. end because you're yeah exactly what you think is imperfect is oftentimes totally perfect for someone else so yeah in the eyes of your collectors like you said there michelle it's you know you can't really control what they see as perfect or not imperfect mm -hmm. um and it's so, and i think that also goes to like other artists as well right like if if it's somebody who is say just a um a glass enthusiast who just wants to buy your work because they love the look of it they might not notice certain little flaws that like maybe another glass artist might notice right they'll just be like this is incredible i love it it's perfect but another glass artist might be like oh you, i noticed these little things here that are flaws that no other person might notice right Actually, that's a good point. And that kind of comes back to the whole social media discussion, right? And maybe that's why people don't want to share stuff or they only want to share the perfect stuff because they know that they're going to be judged by other people who do the same thing, right? So judgment is huge on the internet, like because everyone's hiding behind their screen, they can say whatever they want without repercussion. If you're, you know, one-on-one -on -one chatting to another artist, you're probably going to have a much more... Um, civilized critique discussion than perhaps someone who doesn't know you over the internet, right? So if you are that glass artist looking at someone else's work, you're like, oh yeah, look at that flaw or whatever. As long as they don't know you, you can tell them, right? But um, you wouldn't actually do that in person. So that, yeah, that's an interesting point. Maybe we're trying to be perfect for the other people who do what we do rather than ourselves. Yeah, I think oftentimes that's the case. I yeah. think of the, the term, the term a painter's painter. Um, and I know a few of them and they're like, they're a rare breed, but, uh, uh, you know, painters that are the kind of people that every other painter totally admires the work that they do, no matter what, mm -hmm. because it's just, it's technically amazing. It's conceptually, whatever, right? Like it just, it hits all those notes that other painters want to see. Um, and I think there's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's, that's not a bad thing to strive for. Um, it's just it's a bit dangerous because it is that sort of the closest you can get to perfection is impressing really impressing people that do what you do mm -hmm. right but that's but that's just working at a really high level too i think and and it's not necessarily a bad thing to strive for that uh it's just uh you have to there has to be a moment where where you would are okay with and, and other artists, I think, will do admire your work more than maybe you think they do, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, it's touchy. Well, I mean, I, I think it a large part of that comes from the fact that you know, from basically from the moment we're born, we're just like inundated with this idea that 
like you're not enough and that you need to strive to be better than you are <laughs> and it's it's um and social media is like instagram facebook all of those things like just it's that's kind of its main purpose almost is just to say you're not good enough you're n and and you need to be better than you are so um i think there's something healthy about striving for excellence and like and and growing but i think the way the media portrays it is that like if you it, that that there's always this unattainable thing ahead of you that you're just it's like this rat race or this like you're just chasing a carrot in front of on a stick on your back in front of you for your whole life that like i always need to get better but i'm never going to get better and it's never going i'm never going to be this like perfect thing here it's just and it's um it's something that you always have to chase and i think michelle i think one of the biggest ways to combat that is that you love the chase itself Mm -hmm. like how you say you love the process and i think that's like um this thing here um there's like apparently there's so there's two types of perfectionists there's like normal perfectionists which it sounds like we're all trying to work towards being that is that normal perfectionists are more inclined to pursue perfection without compromising their self-esteem and derive pleasure from their efforts uh, neurotic profession perfectionists are prone to strive for unrealistic goals and feel dissatisfied when they cannot reach them. So you're it's never like, going to be happy. Yeah. It's like, unless I grab that carrot, I will never be satisfied. I will never be happy. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, you have to really enjoy running and not necessarily enjoy grabbing the carrot finally, <laughs> or not, mm -hmm. not that, not that you don't enjoy grabbing the carrot. It's just that you're, Every, your self-worth isn't attached to that carrot that is perpetually in front of you well no because the point is is that it's always going to be in front of you you grab that yeah. carrot there's like you said there's another carrot right after it that just pops mm -hmm. up and goes oh hello and <laughs> you know you're then you're running after that one again right because it's never i'm gonna make an image of this because that's yeah. <laughs> i expect a carrot oh hello, oh, hello. I, I, am, I am that unattainable there. carrot named perfection <laughs> I expect a cute animation by tomorrow, Matt. Uh, yeah, it won't yeah, be perfect. I, <laughs> it won't be perfect, but it'll be it'll... the best. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the crux of it is that perfection is like obtaining that the skills that make you, you know, uh, admirable in the eyes of your contemporaries and whatever else is only achieved by producing and producing and producing and failing and producing and that's how everybody gets there nobody except for like strange uh savants or whatever are coming out like five-year-olds being able to play beethoven but like most people get there by just failing and learning and failing and learning and and accepting that things are good enough and putting them out there right because being accepting that things that the work is good enough allows you to stop move on to the next stop move on to the next and and just be more prolific which makes you better every single time back to that that discuss, uh, that quote about the uh, ceramics guy right i mean it's just being more prolific makes you better and then you eventually do have the skills that that make you uh that kind of painter's painter or whatever uh, so I don't think, yeah, I think the neurotic, the neurotic perfectionism is, is just, is, is diluted, right? I mean, it's a diluted way to kind of think about how things really get achieved. Well, and I think it's right in the, it's right in the name. It's, we have an art practice. You have a yoga practice. Mm. You, right? Like you have a law practice. That means you do it over and over and over again to become the best or to uh, be better at it, to enjoy it, whatever that is, you practice right? Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. I yeah. We, that. You often forget that when you think about it, especially, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if, have you found that it's gotten easier as time has gone on or gotten harder to, mm, both? to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah. I mean, okay. So how can I say this? 
So I'm going to jump from, from design to, to glass. So design, it's easier, right? I've done mm -hmm. it for 15 years. I know I'm de half decent at it. I know I can solve problems. So like you, you push stuff around on paper until it looks good, right? So you learn certain rules that at least get you started faster or get you moving that stuff faster. So you've got some speed because you know what has worked in the past. Again, you've learned those pieces and it gets you to the end faster, hopefully, or gets you started on a different direction faster. And I suppose that's true in my glass too. I just keep experimenting and keep changing. And so I think I have more to grow there. So perhaps it's just a growth and time question. Over time, yes, it should get easier because you've got foundational skills to help you um, grow in different ways. Do you find, I, I'm looking at your work and um, I can't quite tell, do you do sort of like production work in air quotes or is, is most of it sort of one-off-ish to the designs or do you repeat designs and... and I, re I, I repeat, but I try to leave part of the process organic so that they're never the same, if that makes sense. So if you, no. if anyone wants to see what we're talking about, if you go to our website and go to, let's see, shop online and then the impression series, that's kind of my, let's say the most fine artish thing I do, skip past the platters, but go down to the bowls below. So this is all stuff that started back in 2016, right? So I've made molds of pieces of the environment, right? So like there's these little like um, pieces within the, the work, uh, little tiles, like circles, and there's like little um, diamonds that are pressed into the glass. They're molds I made with, with stuff from the environment, right? So those are static, those stay in every piece. But the actual forms of the glass are different each time because I use broken bits of glass and melt them into weird organic shapes. And then I melt them over different types of, or drape them over different forms to get different vessel shapes. So there's, there's an element of consistency that I bring from piece to piece. There's also an element of surprise, so to speak. So I put this stuff in the kiln. Usually, you know, there's a certain process I follow, but it's the last, <laughs> I can spend like a week or two making something. And then the last time in the kiln can either make or break the whole, the whole thing because there's an element of randomness within it. And I really like that because it, it frees me a little bit. I'm pretty mm -hmm. much, um, I'm probably one of the most organized artists you'll ever meet. I'm, I'm kind of super anal in my stuff, if you will. Um, and so I need that because um, I like that kind of mix of structure and organic together. So that piece frees me, but also makes the, each piece unique. But there's a super high possibility for failure, but I also kind of enjoy that risk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's like another kind of technique there to to combat perfectionism is learning how to embrace randomness. Yeah, yeah. Um, is super important. I mean, it's a little bit harder in, in say like the graphic design realm is like, you don't really like just randomly throw things out there and see what happens. But uh, definitely I think in glass and painting kind of more of the, the tactile arts, it's it's mm -hmm. easier to, to just say like, you know what, I'm just gonna see what randomly happens here. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, do you find you have to set a sort of quality bar and, and aim for that and uh if you know because you're you're producing so you know so many works in a week or whatever that you have to do for your for the shop for the um you know to for the sales numbers whatever you're aiming for um with this sort of production style work do you do you feel like you have to set a bar and then just stay under that uh and in terms of like in regards to perfectionist, like this kind of quality bar, or do you do you just every time make the work as best as it can possibly be and spend the time that you feel like it needs? Oh, see, now you've hit the pro the problem I struggle with is perfection, right? So <laughs> I'm super competitive, um, so I I want to win and I want to yes, I want to be the best, right? So I set my own bar very very high. And I, I don't know if I ever achieve it. So that's my own crux when it comes to perfectionism. Um, but again, I have to stop myself so that I actually have something to sell at some point. Like I've got a whole swack of pieces sitting on my, my dining room table right now that I've been working on for two months. And I'm so close to being done, but it's that last step that I'm just not fully happy with because it's not a quality that I want. And so I keep kind of revising it and revising it. And I'm just like, oh man, I need to stop. I need to find the answer. 
to this problem or I'm never going to finish this work. I'm never going to make any money. So again, you've, you've got those restrictions, right? So time and money are probably what's going to stop me and force me to um, get to that place. But yeah, I always have a really high bar set for myself. I look at a lot of other glass artists. Um, you know, I would love to be the next Tutzinski. If you Google her stuff, she, you know, developed her own um, style for making these glass stringers and makes these gorgeous bowls. So like, for example, one of her bowls will sell for $40,000. One of my bowls of the same size, I've struggled to get 500 from, right? So how do you bridge that gap? Um, and there's a lot of PR marketing and all that kind of stuff with wrapped in there. But a lot of it is quality or uh, a very unique process. So I've started adapting to be like, okay, how do I make my work different than everyone else's? And I feel this work is starting to get there. Like it's use a lot of the same techniques as every other artist or glass artist does, but how do you wrap that and make it your own? And then within that, um, you've, I don't want to say you found perfection, but you've achieved that goal of being unique, right? And then it, it frees you to explore all sorts of other things. Yeah. And that's arguably perfection for most artists yeah. or it should be that it should be the sort of perfection goal is is to find your own voice and and successfully speak in it right mm -hmm. um yeah and not not strive for what you see is perfect like you're not you shouldn't be striving to make the same bowl that this other artist made no, that, no. there's no point in that your yours no. is not gonna your your version of that is never going to be worth forty thousand dollars your yeah. version of what you do that if you, you when you find that unique voice and scream loudly with it and <laughs> that can be worth forty thousand dollars right that's and, the dream yeah. right yeah, yeah for sure yeah. so it's almost do you think you when you're doing that do you find it beneficial to maybe start with like low stake projects or... I wish I thought that way. <laughs> um, again, back to I fail a lot. I tend to go all in with everything I try because I think, oh, yeah, like I figure out the theory in my head. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that should work. Let's go for it. <laughs> and then it fails horribly. And then I have to step it back to a smaller thing. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be a, a lesson I can't learn. Um, so that has just become part of my process is I just go all in fail and then go back and try again so two steps forward one step back or the other way around whatever um but i've come to realize that's just how i operate i i again i learn by failing so uh, luckily with my my work i can just reuse the failures right so if there's a glass piece i don't like i smash it and remelt it so i've come to terms with that uh, and, and actually made quite good social content with that too so um i smash things and people love watching me smash things so it's um very cathartic. Yeah, I think I have the same problem. I definitely, I definitely get too ambitious sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, let's just do everything. Let's throw the kitchen sink at this. And then I'm like, wait a second, maybe I need to scale this back <laughs> to be more obtainable. <laughs> and then yeah. you smash your computer on social media. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait a sec. I can't melt that down into another computer. I would uh, smash it though. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great. Everybody would love that, and then I would I would have to. That'd be a very expensive social media experiment. <laughs> yeah, so I think how, it is. It is important to like set low stake projects, though. I think especially for people that are starting out or trying to find yeah. kind of their own routes, is that like, um, like minimum viable products, um, like minimum viable shippable things, is really important for people to strive towards making those so you're not everything is this everest <laughs> so it's really have... good advice I, I wish someone had told me that when i started or at least i would have listened to somebody when they told when they told me that right so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah good advice Plus, folks listening yeah although <laughs> i mean that's the thing about advice nobody listens to it you just say it and it, you're <laughs> like that's really great advice i'm gonna totally ignore that <laughs> but it is i think the question you have to ask yourself is how important is the money in the, mm -hmm. in the process and um, I mean, just the, the sustainability of it and, and making products that you can sell for a reasonable price um, to continue making them and continue selling them in a timeline that or in a, you know, with repetition that earns you a living. How important is that versus making the best product you can possibly 
pull off. And so I think that's, yeah, that's the important question to ask when you're, when you're trying to design your, your process in a way, right? Because it ha there has to come a time when you just say, okay, that's done because I'm looking at like the next three months. And if I produce three paintings in the next three months, that is not very useful for, you know, based on what I can sell my paintings for. Um, that's just not, I'm not, I'm not making any money here. <laughs> and there's always a chance that they won't sell at all. And so, you know, like even if the best case scenario, I sell everything, I'm still only making like 30 cents an hour. This is crazy. Um, so, you know, where's, uh, how, how, how important do you find that that crosses your mind ever oh, yeah. or is it? Yeah. All the time. And I think that's something that's maybe the artists skip and that's why you're never successful. Right. An artist doesn't want to be a business person. They just want to be an artist. Well, mm -hmm. unfortunately, if you want to pay the bills and sell your work, guess what? You're a business. So you have to apply some of that thinking to it. You know, unfortunately, there's no roadmap for artists as far as how to run your business successfully. It's not like we're plumbers and there's a specific, like, way you plumb a toilet. Like, that's, that's, there's a way you do that. There's a certain amount of time it takes, certain parts. And so you know that you can charge the same amount every time you do it. Unfortunately, with art, that doesn't work, right? Each piece is different, unique. You can make some general guidelines based on what the materials cost, all that kind of thing. But yeah, you've got to sit down and say, how much time can I put into this so I can pay my rent? How, mm -hmm. how much time can I put into this so I can feed myself, right? Like that's really what it comes down to. And, and that's where we struggle a lot of the time because we're so, there's so much of our heart in this stuff, perhaps more than any other um, business or whatever. I mean, I don't want to say that everyone loves their businesses if they're small business, but it, every time you put out a piece of art, it is a piece of you, right? So you have to stop yourself from yourself in order to make money and that's hard. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, especially with this work that I'm just creating, I've, I've realized I need to streamline the process or shift it slightly or charge more or something because I ain't making any money. So how do we, how do we get there, right? Um, and you have to know if people are actually going to buy it. So back to your point of don't throw everything in the kitchen sink into it because you don't know if anyone's going to like it. So if you start smaller and build up, that's far easier for sure. Yeah. And it's, I think, it's it's hard for sometimes when you start having a bit more of a business mindset it's hard mm -hmm. for artists to be like yeah this is good enough to go out there um it's pretty it's tough right i i, I think of like you know what you're talking about with um um it being a bit different i mean when when a, say when a plumber finishes their work you know you if you have like a perfectly fixed yeah. sink right like yeah it's perfect because it works yeah, the <laughs> or water like runs, right? the water runs <laughs> or you know if you if you're a landscaper um and you've mowed this lawn it's like yeah i don't have to be a perfectionist here or i mean a perfectionist is just like the, the lawn is mowed i i can physically see my success here <laughs> yeah um and it's i think it's really difficult for the creative arts because you don't necessarily see that success. And I think, again, to swing it back to social media and how it can be brutal for people with kind of perfectionist tendencies is like your success there is by like how many likes you get or mm -hmm. how many other people love your work, um, which is like, it's kind of an intangible, impossible goal um and well, think, it's not it's not so, very real online right no. it's just not yeah like I, i've i've liked i i tend not to like things online that i don't actually like but i also don't care it's four seconds later you know like i oh that's cool and then i move on right and that's mm -hmm, what everybody mm -hmm. does and it's just not there's not a real connection so like the moment you put a piece in front of five real people and those five real people have an emotional reaction to it and say, Oh man, that's really, really cool. Or whatever. I hate it, but it's impactful. Whatever they say, as long as they're impacted by it, that's more valuable than a hundred thousand people mm -hmm. liking it online in a real sense. It's like, and I'm, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being a hypocrite here because I'm, 
guilty of it the same as everybody i mean i want to see everybody online like my stuff too we're all sort of fall victim to it yeah but you want to wake I, up and have a million likes right sure who doesn't right yeah. but it's but that's but that only lasts so long too like it's that it's that quick fix nonsense where like you do something like i still I, i'm still rewarded by the moments that people have directly interacted with my work in real life and told me how they feel about it. I can still, I can still recall moments like that from five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, longer than that. And, and that's, that's, so I think that's just illustrates how much more valuable that really is than, than the kind of reward online. I don't know what my point was with that, but. <laughs> but your point was perfect. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, okay. So in in the list of things that we have to combat our perfectionism here, I mean, we, we, we want to like have, we want to set low stakes, right? Uh, we want to set goals. We've talked about that a lot. You know, falling in love with processes, taking a break from the work if it if it starts to overwhelm you with like it you're spinning your tires and embracing randomness mm -hmm. um, what else can we do to to try and fight it um and is there a point where we shouldn't fight it i mean i think that the the like you know if we're talking about normal perfectionists it's like it's pretty there's there's like a healthy level that i think we all need it isn't all negative being a perfectionist. No, like you said, you have to have some quality in your work. You have to be proud mm -hmm. of what you're producing, right? So that's a level of perfection in itself. But you can't let it control you or, or um, take over uh, your world because then you never actually end up producing anything, right? Mm -hmm. I think you touched on this, but another thing you can do is what we just were talking about where we um, you're getting feedback from other people, right? So a lot of time, artists are introverts we make our stuff in our basement we don't talk to anyone because we don't want to um we just want to hide and make art right but it, there's nothing more valuable than showing your work and getting that feedback so i think that's what we want out of social media but instead we just we focus on getting likes or instead yeah. wouldn't it be great to get like honest feedback on the work and i you get that if you go out and do shows or markets or whatever you do with your work good and bad um don't get me wrong, but it, it allows you that feedback that can either justify that what you're doing is correct and you're like, yeah, okay, people like this, right on, I can keep going, and it stops you from yourself, or they tell you it's awful, and you're like, okay, I need to step that up a bit and make it better, let's work on that, right? So um, I think feedback is super important. I think, I think focusing on a smaller scale community almost, mm -hmm. like not not striving to just be like a, a million follower, million like artist on, on the internet, but like a more worthwhile, smaller connection with a, like a smaller group of people instead of just like the vapidness of, of social media <laughs> where all mm -hmm. these likes don't really amount to anything. Yeah. And that's, and, yeah, and community, I mean, community props everything up and makes everything more valuable and worthwhile doing um i mean that's what that's obviously what we're trying to do here with ghost stories and it's been really rewarding for us and hopefully for the other people involved but it's just it to make a show that feels like a, a bit of a community instead of just another show mm -hmm. um is has been has been super rewarding for us and i mean honestly this uh, um doing this mural i did this past weekend in uh in sunnyside here the best part of that experience for me was the connecting with people in the community here, mm -hmm. my, my neighbors. It was so cool. It was just really, really cool to have them around. They're interested in what's going on. They're watching you work. They're stopping by every day to say, oh, hey, cool. What's going on? And and then we ended up like having a bunch of people just hanging out in the alleyway, playing instruments and, you know, having a drink, whatever. Um, and that was the most rewarding part of the whole process was was just having this kind of community start to orbit around this art thing that's happening and everybody wants to kind of feed off of it and, and have a little bit of that and 
and sure, sure, people said, oh, I like the, uh, I like the painting, which is nice to hear and rewarding in its own way, but, but really having the people that are just, they're there because art makes community better <laughs> generally what have whatever quality whether it's like low or really high technical quality it doesn't really matter it's like the the, the vibe of just people creating things makes uh, makes people excited and it was uh, yeah it was really rewarding that way so community is all yeah yeah yeah, yeah community i think can definitely help with with that evil demon that sits on your shoulder called perfectionism. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we're all good enoughists, was that, that was a that was a good enough that was a good enough podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's good I enough. think it was perfect. Right? It was yeah okay. What, what's your, what was your saying, John? It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be the best. Oh, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be the best. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. So Michelle. Where uh, where can we find your work and uh, uh, where can we yeah. see you? Since we just it, talked about social media, give us your social media stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Instagram is my number one channel. Um, so it's at Jewel Notes, J-E-W-E-L-N-O-T-E-S. Um, and that's where I post all of my lovely smashing videos, process, as well as final pieces. It's basically just my life um, if you want to see what I do every day. Um, that's my big social channel. Obviously, stuff on Pinterest and all that other garbage, but whatever. Um, my website is jewelnotes.ca. Um, if you want to actually shop my work, you can shop it online, or you can check it out at, um, at in September, it'll be up in Edmonton at the Alberta Craft Council Gallery shop. Um, so if you're traveling up to Edmonton, you can visit that. Um, I've got a couple galleries on my hit list, so hopefully you'll hear about them soon. Um, I'm also at, if you're in uh, closer to Calgary, you can go out to the Leighton Centre. Um, it's a nice little drive. It's out near Millerville, and they have some of my work as well. Definitely go out there. Anybody who has not been out there, go out there. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful <laughs> and there's, space. And there's great be. art, obviously, yeah. in the shop. So, yeah. Ghost Stories YYC is a group storytelling show where we get all the artists to create new work based on a ghost story, folktale, or urban legend, and then write a short story about it. Uh, it's going to be opening on October 23rd uh, and running until November 14th this year at the Roberta Osberg Gallery. You can find more information on the web at www.ghoststoriesyyc.ca. Uh, and pretty current information is usually going up on our Instagram at ghost underscore stories underscore YYC. Anyways, we'll catch you next time. Stay spooky.